Hi, good morning. I'd like to take you through a passage today. It's Romans chapter 14. And it has some very impacting things to say about faith and what it means to be weak in faith and strong in faith and how that impacts and influences doing life together and what God ultimately wants out of this. So if you would follow along with me at Romans 14. This is how it begins. It says, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the, we belong to the Lord. And I'm going to pause there, though we will pick up in a little bit. And let's talk a little bit about some of the things that this passage presupposes and assumes. First of all, it seems to indicate that, that in the life of everyone, there are degrees of faith. And I think this goes contrary to how a lot of people tend to think, because I think most people, when they approach the idea of faith, kind of think like this, either you got it or you don't. You're in or you're out. You know what I mean? But for Paul, it's less black and white than that. you got to envision more of something like a spectrum, with white at one side and black at another, and all kinds of intermediate shades of gray in between, which indicates that each and every one of us are on a faith journey, meaning God meets us right where we're at, and at that place invites us to come and follow him into something deeper in this thing that he calls faith. Now, this means that at any given time, there's going to be some people who are weaker in their faith than others, and simultaneously, there will be other people who are stronger in their faith than others, as they each kind of point along the spectrum. Does this make sense? Now, what I tend to find is that this idea of being weak in faith and, and strong in faith, it always kind of manifests itself in, in a host of different ways as we come into contact with things in this world. And one of the biggest ways you'll see this come out is what we feel we are free or able to participate in, to do, or to experience. And, and the typical pattern will go something like this. There's certain people 
that will look at things in this world and go, don't touch it. Don't have anything to do with it. It's, it's, it's too dangerous. It's too tempting. It's too toxic. And to even go there is to risk some kind of violation or break of loyalty with God. Likewise, there's others that can look at the exact same thing and go, you know, I think I can interact with this. I, I think I can see this, experience, enjoy this, or, or whatever other word you want to give to it, and it won't interfere with my, my walk or my loyalty to God. Now, what ends up often happening in what Romans 14 is about is that those over here who say, don't touch, don't handle, don't look, often look at those people over there and think of them as people who compromise, people who aren't committed, or people who aren't self-controlled or self-disciplined enough to truly commit to the way of Christ. Likewise, the people over here often look at the people over there and carry with them a certain sort of resentment, a certain sort of, I'm so sick of hearing about the same thing again and again that doesn't seem to be an issue for anyone in this universe except for you. You know what I mean? Now, this this passage opens, and Paul writes, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. The key word there is disputable matters. Now, when it comes to life, to following God, the Bible will say a lot of things very clearly on a certain host of topics. But have you ever faced the frustration of, of that, that, that other big like 90% zone of, of how you interact with life and, and it's just frustratingly silent? Have you ever come looking for, for guidance, asking God, what am I supposed to do in this situation? How do I handle this situation? Is this, is this okay? Is this not okay? And you don't really seem to get an answer. These are the things Paul is talking about when he gets into this idea of disputable matters. And so we have this passage that's talking about faith, and it's presupposing that there is degrees of faith, both weak and strong, and what Paul is really trying to get after is how does that work when people come together at various points in their own faith life and are most certain to disagree? How does that work? Are you with me? Now, the example he gives is a little weird. Let me flash it up on the screen. If you looked at like verse 2 and then again at verse 5, he said this, One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, have you ever thought of like the carnivore herbivore divide in humanity as being the litmus test of weak or strong faith, right? It's just, it's off there. But let me kind of set a little context behind this of what might be going on. It may be this. It may have something to do with like Jewish kosher laws. Remember that at the time Paul was writing, most Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His 12 disciples were Jews. Paul was a Jew. The mission you can read in the Gospels was first to Israel. And even Paul, who's kind of heralded as the apostle to the Gentiles, if you read Acts closely, where does he always go when he brings his ministry throughout the Roman Empire? Jewish synagogues. 
And so what it may be is that people who had come out of a Jewish way of life, priding themselves and defining themselves and, and shaping their faith by those, those, those Old Testament Mosaic laws of which were included those dietary laws, came to a place where living in a greater Gentile Roman world just said, I can't even risk eating meat because what if, what if it wasn't prepared properly? What if it isn't in accord with how the Mosaic law said it had to be prepared? While another could look at the same thing and go, what's the big deal? It's just meat. Do you see the issue? There's another possibility here as well. And it might be what is, is just kind of coined as a term, um, idle meat, all right? Because here's how it worked. In the ancient world, if you lived in an urban setting and you wanted to eat meat, you did not go to a grocery store because they didn't exist. The way you would purchase your meat, assuming that you couldn't raise your own animal because you lived in a city and there was just nowhere to put it, is that you would go down to the local pagan temple. And what would happen at the local pagan temple is people would be bringing their sacrifices. And as they would be bringing their sacrifices, the part that was for the gods would be offered up, but then the remainder of the meat would either be sold at an adjoining open-air market or served at something that I could only call like a restaurant, you know, kind of like a fair where you can get hot food on the spot. You know what I mean? Now, you can imagine how some Christians may have been coming across this. Some would go, you know... How can I eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? How can I purchase something that directly funds an institution that I am diametrically opposed to? How can I partake of something that was sacrificed on an altar to some kind of pagan god? Let me phrase it a little bit like this. Which of you here would be eager to eat some food right now if you knew that it had been sacrificed on an altar to Satan? If you have a problem with that, guess what? So did some early Christians. But this is the point, and this is what Paul has to say to you. Do you know what Paul calls you? If you have an issue with that, weaken your faith. Because to Paul, it's just meat. And these gods aren't real. And who cares who it was sacrificed to it? Why would that affect me? Do you see some of the divides? And can you think of Christian history, but also life today? And have you ever had those interactions with other believers where there's these debates, these heated debates on issues like this, that people seem to be so polarized over, so at each other's throat over, and so strong in their beliefs over that the environment turns caustic. I could think of in my own life just maybe a dozen examples off the top of my head. Have you ever gotten into one of these conversations over a subject like alcohol, smoking, gambling, dancing, tattoos, piercings, which political party to vote for, which companies to support, is it okay to invest with certain groups if they stand for something that's against the way of Christ? Fantasy literature, R-rated movies, TV, fun in general, right? I, I mean, <laughs> since the dawn of time, believers have been conflicting over this. 
And it's led to divisions and splits in churches and families and believers since like the time of Christ. And it's to this kind of stuff that Paul writes these words of Romans 14. And the biggest thing that I think we need to key in on is this. The first thing that Paul says is, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. In other words, it's saying give each other the benefit of the doubt. Understand that at a fundamental level, one person's faith journey is ultimately tied to God first, not you. I like how Paul puts this. None of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to who? If we die, we die to who? So whether we live or die, we belong to who? Notice that it does not say each other. What does Paul write? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? It's to the Lord that you answer. And it says to him, each of us will give account. And if one person can eat, let him do it to the Lord. And if one person wants to abstain, let him do it to the Lord. And stop worrying so dang much about what your brother or sister is doing just because it doesn't fit with you. And I know a lot of believers who will take this passage and then go, amen, and just put it down and leave it there. But there's something even deeper that Paul has to say about this thing called faith and what it means to live it out and practice with each other. And it's where Paul picks up from there. Now, I want to show you something this morning. This is in Colorado, um, up in the front range, sort of. And this peak that you're looking at is called Long's Peak. All right? It is one of the the 14,000 footers in the Colorado range, which is not as common as you'd think. And people from around the country and around the globe will take expeditions to go and climb this peak. Now, the pictures I'm going to show you uh, are for a trip I did out there. Um, a few years back in my attempt to get to the top of that thing. And now the bold and the brave will try to go up that way. All right? People like me go up that way. All right? Now, to give you a sense of the scope and size, I need to point a few things out in these pictures. First of all, do you see the person right there? Okay, does it start to give you a sense of the size of this field? Now, let's go to the next one. Do you see that, like, snow rock formation there? Okay? Here it is a little bit closer. And you see the people standing there to give you a sense of just how big it is. Now, the difficulty of getting up a peak like this, believe it or not, is knowing how to get there. It sounds stupid to say because how do you miss it, right? There it is. Go to the top. But it isn't quite that simple when your feet are on the ground and you're making your way up. Now, that field looks like it's 10 feet long, but when you see the people, you start to get a sense of the size, and what you don't see is what's behind these ridges, what obstacles are in the way, and how to best navigate through these rock fields that are always trying to trip 
you up. It gets harder the closer you get. Because the closer you get, the more the rocks start to outnumber the blades of grass. Are you with me? And if you were to keep going up, you could see that as you're going up and you could see a person right there, and you see the people right there, now what you can't see is that there is a trail going along there. And when you're climbing a peak like this, catching a trail is life. Catching a trail is victory. Because as much fun as it sounds to just kind of, let's just kind of go bouldering straight up. By the 14th hour of climbing, I guarantee it is not fun anymore. When people do this journey and seek to do it in one day, they generally leave at about 2 or 3 a.m. so that they have enough time to get up and more importantly, get down before darkness sets. Because if there's one thing you learn, you don't want to be caught alone in the mountains in the dark. Weather blows in. Animals live up there. Exposure happens. It is a dangerous place. And finding a trail is everything. Now, you could see how this trail kind of cuts in there, so you can start to see it a little bit visibly more. But th- there's people who do things that are very helpful to newbie novice climbers like me as they're trying to make it to the top, and they are called cairns. Say cairn. And it's spelled with a K. Now, do you see this little pile of rocks here? What you learn is that's not just a pile of rocks. That is an actual intentional trail marker. So what people will do is they scout a trail and as they clear away is they'll leave markers to other people who are following behind so they too know the way. Are you with me? Now, finding these cairns is not an easy activity because if you're just standing out here and you're looking for a pile, right? A pile of rocks like that? Oh my gosh, the trail markers are everything. Now, I had a chance to attempt this peak a few years back, and I did it all the right ways. I went out there, and I acclimated to climb it for a full 12 hours. I brought like 90 pounds of gear. All right, I didn't train. There's a mountain, let's go for it. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And I noticed something. A lot of people do this trail. It's not like, you know, one person a year or something like that. I mean, th- there will be traffic patterns at times depending on the time of the year as you go. And you can tell there are some who are weaker, right, in their attempt to make the trail and some who are stronger, Now, we did it in the middle of the summer, but we still had to pack in winter clothes because when you're that high, well, you could see the snow, right? And when you're out for that length of period of time in a day, you better be ready for exposure. 
But I remember it vividly. We got up at 2 a.m. We ate a whole granola bar to get ready for the day. And we started going after this peak. And it was about 10 a.m. where I'm not really feeling too good, shall we say. And I'll never forget, it was this like young, like 18-year-old girl, I swear. She probably weighed 120 pounds max. She's sitting there wearing like these spandex pants and basically a belt with two water bottles jogging her way up the trail. And I had this moment where I just paused and realized I hated her so much. Because we who are weak tend not to understand how those who are strong can face the obstacles of life in that kind of way. Where's her gear? Where's her three gallons of water? I swear, I had cargo pants sticking out to here. I had so much Gatorade packed into it. And she's up there with like a quart and a half. Where is her winter clothes? But for someone who is strong in the faith, the encumberments, if you will, aren't as necessary. And it's hard for a guy like me to get someone like that. Because how will they ever make it? Now, We hiked that trail and she went on her way. There was maybe a nod at the most and she kept going her way as I kept my like, you know, like wounded soldier drag (laughs) up the cliff. But she didn't help me. And you know what's even worse on these trails? It's not that you per se expect people to help you, but when they sabotage you. And there's a couple of ways. One is this, the false cairn. It is not common, but not unheard of, for people to do these trails and build false cairns. Maybe they were going that way and they were building it so they'd remember their way back and they realized they hit a dead end a mile and a half in. And as they backtracked, do you think they would knock it over? No. They left it to lead others astray. And then there's some who do it intentionally. Who just like to screw with people. Who just want to lead them to places when they don't know. I love those people. (laughs) I remember particularly loving those people after a three-mile walk out of our way that kept us from summiting that day. And think about what it must be like walking that trail. It isn't paved, is it? There's rocks and gravel and rubble everywhere. And you walk on that for 20 minutes, you're fine. You walk on that for an hour, you're fine. You walk on that for a few, you're still okay. But there comes a point where your feet start to tire, where your ankles start to get weak. And those little unevenness in the ground that weren't giving you a problem in the beginning start causing you to stumble and fall. And as funny as it might sound at one level, could you imagine trying to get medical attention up there? Can you imagine what it would be like with a torn ligament trying to backtrack six hours down a trail? 
Could you imagine what it would be like, and it isn't uncommon, to have to camp out there, even if you don't have a tent, waiting for the help to come? Now look at what Paul writes. He says this in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, and read this with me, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Because for Paul, life together in the spectrum of faith goes beyond withholding judgment. It goes beyond just keeping it to ourselves. There's something deeper than that, a a commitment, a duty. Not to put stumbling blocks in each other's way. Do you realize that the way you live affects other believers? Do you realize that whether you know it or not, people look at you and make judgments about the Christian faith? Do you realize that as people are wrestling with this Jesus and wondering what this lifestyle looks like, take their cues from how you live? And for those of you here today who are strong in your faith, do you realize that what looks so easy to you may in fact be teaching those who are weaker something that is dangerous to them because they are not yet prepared for that level of faith. Because for Paul, how we treat each other is far more important than how we relate to our faith Personally, he'll write this Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Because the trail of life is rocky and the summits are big. And God is calling people to this journey. And it's our duty to help each other along the way. Because for Paul, that is strong faith. Would you agree with me that there's no human being in this universe who probably had a stronger faith than Jesus? And yet, do you realize that not even Jesus, in the strength of his faith, used it as a license to just do what he wanted, but instead would lower himself and humble himself and acquiesce to those who were weaker to help them along the way? And that's at the heartbeat of faith. Because for Paul, at its root, true faith is to be like Jesus. It's to walk like him, to act like him, and to position ourselves in the way that he did and the strength of his faith. Which means, for those of us in this room today who are strong, we have a duty. And it's to look out for our brothers and our sisters who are stumbling along the way. To make sure we're not putting any stumbling block in their path, but instead helping them on their way. Because this journey called life, 
it's a lot more important than summiting. And the stakes are a lot higher. And the road is not easy. Are you with me? And what church and the community of believers is fundamentally about is helping each other walk that way. So my prayer for you, wherever you're at in your faith today, is to step up to the challenge. But for those of you who are experienced, for those of you who have done the path before, for those of you who have gained some strength, watch out for those stumbling blocks that you might be laying in the way. And follow the way of Jesus instead. That's what this passage is about. So guys, would you, uh, would you pray with me? Let's, let's rise. God in heaven, we, we come as, as, as a, a, a disparate group of people. Some of us today strong, conditioned, experienced. Some of us today got weak, injured, or facing some obstacle or challenge of life for the first time. God, none of us comes to this room alone. When we come, you gather us together to be a body and to be a community. Help those of us who are weak, God. Help those of us who are weak not to judge those who have the strength to plow ahead, the strength to maybe not prepare as much or whatever that looks like in in the journey at hand, but let those of us who are strong be patient, be cognizant, and be aware of those dragging themselves up the trail. May we spot those stumbling blocks. Forgive us, God, for the ones that that we lay in the road ourselves. And together, God, may we honor you with this journey of faith. May we see it as something that we truly are in together. Bring each of us deeper and stronger in our commitment and in our loyalty and in our walk with you. God, we pray. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.